Hello and welcome to Morella Story Podcast. In today's episode, I would like to just take this time to explain why I decided to create this podcast and some of the goals that I plan to accomplish with it. Uh, I also have suffered from mental illnesses such as depression and general anxiety disorder, and I believe that there's a lot of misunderstandings that come in regards to mental health, and so I would just like to clear some of that up, but without further ado, let's begin. So for starters, my name is Caitlin Vagadis. I am an architecture student at Ball State University, and I'm just finishing up my second year, and I will be starting my junior year in the program this fall. I started dealing with some issues with mental health as early as the third grade, and I had gotten sent to the school counselor by my teacher a few times starting like the third grade. Uh, a lot of the things that I was dealing with is I would just constantly feel, I don't know how to like, withdrawn, I suppose is the best way I could explain it, from the people around me. And I always just felt like I wasn't supposed to be there or that I didn't belong or that I wasn't, I was just kind of expendable. And so it was just like this general feeling of like worthlessness that I had as a kid. And so how I kind of started to deal with that is I would try to improve my grades and do artwork, which I was fairly good at at the time. And so I would work on that to try to prove myself that I was enough. And so I kind of got into this whole idea of having to be more and that as I was, was not going to be enough to matter later, even though the uh, whole idea of being enough is kind of strange and it doesn't really mean anything because it's if you think about it, it's like you're enough for what and I didn't really have an answer to that question I just knew how I was was just not enough and so I started having those like really early on as a kid and it went through with middle school where I started to have suicidal thoughts or thoughts about death not necessarily a plan of action or anything along those lines but I would kind of get in these really depressive moods around December, which I didn't know at the time was a seasonal depression. And I was wanting to reach out and get help, but I was afraid to be judged or that people would think that I was one of those people that were suicidal or trying to get attention or that if I had depression, then that means that I would cut myself or anything along those lines. And that wasn't really the case. Once I hit high school, that's when like a lot of that pressure of external validation and trying to prove yourself to be enough while also feeling that I wasn't significant or mattered kind of really took a toll on me. So around my sophomore year, that's when I started having a plan of action and developing like uh, how I was going to end my life. And I just wanted everything to be over and to be done. And it's not that I couldn't see a future. I just didn't see the future improving. And so I just didn't want to go through all the stuff that I've gone through just over and over again each year. And after being uh, suicidal, I didn't end up going through it with it, but I had like a situation in which I was about to. And I never necessarily acted on it, but at that point I realized like I really wanted to live. And so 
I tried to turn some things around with mentality, who I was hanging around, and it did help. Like over time, things got better, but I never saw a counselor or therapist and I never started medication. And so it got better, but only for a short amount of time. And then things will kind of repeat itself. And I was uh, going to college. And once I went to college, I was able to get some counseling because I realized like I was going down those same roads that I was in high school in my sophomore year. And I didn't want to go through that all over again. And so I started going to see the counselor once I was in the second semester of my freshman year. And then I wasn't able to go anymore because it was COVID and I didn't want to be doing these online virtual consultations while I was at home because I was afraid that my parents or someone might overhear and I just felt like that wasn't going to be helpful for me because I was always afraid of what my family might thought if they found out that I did have anxiety and depression. And so I ended up going back and uh, to school in person this past fall semester, but uh, just starting from the get-go of that semester, I hit a lot of rough patches. I started going to the counselor right away, and I was quickly falling into like those same patterns as like suicidal thoughts or thoughts of death, or just general recklessness where I just didn't care about my own safety and well-being. And so uh, I started medication in the fall, so I would say end of October, beginning of November. And I had like a fairly quick turnaround with that. And then about the beginning of the second semester, I had my medication switched because they didn't think it was working well enough. And that's when I had like one medication where it made me tired all the time. I was sleeping about 16 hours a day. And that still didn't feel like enough. Like the other eight hours of the day, I was only awake because I felt like I had to, not because I felt alert. And so I switched medications a, se a second time. So it's kind of like, at first when you first start medications, you kind of have this trial and error, which kind of be can be difficult. And so that was, that's kind of where I'm at at this point. But I think between, during COVID mostly, I wanted to be able to tell my story where I know a lot of the help that I got was a result of my friends that also have anxiety and depression or other mental illnesses talking about what they went through and why they decided to see help, like seek help. And so I decided like, and well, I started to realize that I had a lot of those same conditions or symptoms and general feelings. And so I started to follow their path that they went down to get help. And that's really helped me. And so I was going to Eucharistic Adoration and I was just praying about like, what should I do? Or like, how can I help other people who are going through the same thing? And so I decided to have uh, this podcast where I have it split into several parts in each episode. The first part, I was gonna tell a testimony of what I went through in the situation. And then the second half is kind of a reflection where we kind of review the moral of the story. Each episode will kind of go more in depth on some of the events that I just gave a general overview of. But uh, for this episode, I would like to talk a little bit about childhood depression and anxiety and kind of how to recognize some of those symptoms. Since I won't really be necessarily talking about my own childhood with depression and anxiety just because that was so long ago that I don't think my memory of it would be adequate enough 
for me to be talking about it in an episode. But I do have a little bit of research on these on like these symptoms in children. And one of the sources that I got this from was BetterHelp. It's a website that kind of talks about some of these symptoms. And they say 2.5% of children and probably even higher suffer from depression at the age of eight. Uh, they show emotions a little different than adults, which can be a little difficult to recognize depression in the kids compared to recognizing depression in adults, which this can be very similar in a lot of mental illnesses. For example, ADHD in kids is much different than ADHD once they get older. Also with like a lot of mental illnesses, how it sh shows in girls is different than how it shows in boys as well. Generally with kids, they'll have deep feelings of sadness and they'll hide their feelings or get really quiet when even before that like age of, I think it can start as early as six, they can be pretty outgoing, but then after time they can start to feel down and quiet and kind of just seem like really upset all the time. They can be really irritable, getting really frustrated with their schoolwork, maybe crying when they can't understand a problem or they'll lash out frequently. They can have sleep changes, which causes like fatigues or insomnia where they're either sleeping all the time or they're never sleeping. Uh, they can have difficulty concentrating which this causes this to be misdiagnosed as ADHD. This is also really true with kids that have anxiety, that it can get misdiagnosed as ADHD because when you your body is constantly producing adrenaline, which is your fight or flight hormone, which is activated a lot in anxiety, it can kind of affect your ability to stay focused. And so a lot of kids that have depression or anxiety will get misdiagnosed as ADHD because the amount of adrenaline or how their body reacts to it is not properly functioning. And so that can cause a lot of concentration issues. Uh, this can also be a result of sleep patterns as well, that if they're not getting enough sleep or too much, not enough or too much sleep, that can kind of cause issues in concentrating as well, which uh, all this together can create changes in their grades because of the concentration or the lack of interest or care. Uh, another change that they might go through is eating habits where they eat more or they have no appetite whatsoever. And kind of in, in the same like regards as the irritability, they can also have a lot of mood swings where they'll see seem really happy at one point and then suddenly be like really upset and it just set, it kind of switches like back and forth. Uh, feelings of worthlessness is also another really like common symptom, which is something that I felt a lot when I was really little. This can appear as poor self-esteem, which can lead to reasons for childhood suicide, which is people around the age of like preteens or just young teens that can commit suicide as like at a really young age. Uh, this can also like deepen with the failing grades or the lack of interest to play games, frequent quiet, frequent crying, excuse me, uh, withdrawing from friends and family, or they prefer to spend more time alone. I know I used to do that a lot when I was younger. Uh, lack of interest in activities, things they used to enjoy, they just suddenly don't want to do anymore. Uh, loss of energy, thoughts of death or suicide, where kids can kind of develop 
depression if they had a childhood trauma one of those could be a death in the family which can cause them constantly thinking about uh death and can cause alarming levels of distress treatments for childhood depression however can include psychotherapy which they can do family or individual counseling for the kids and it's suggested that you do both since they are so young it's nice to have the whole family involved in the treatment to so that the family understands what's going on and they can help support that child. During the counseling, they can encourage the individual to kind of explore their feelings and recognize the negative thoughts so that they're more able to replace them or coping mechanisms. Family therapy, which is kind of similar to the beginning where they kind of talk to each other and try to understand what's going on. So they try to just get a communication between all the members of the family. So that if the depression was a result of something that happened, such as like a divorce or a death, they can kind of work through it as a family, which can be really beneficial for the kids. And there is always medication as well. Uh, A lot of them are like serotonin regulators. Uh, That's I know a lot of the medications I was on, they're uh, serot- the SSRI. I'm not 100% sure what this stands for. I know serotonin and regulator, something along those lines is in there. I am not a psychologist. That kind of shows right now. But <laughs> um, there are a few medications that are approved for kids. Some of them are not because of like the age. It's kind of like how your cough medicine, they don't want you to have it until you're 12 or they'll have lower doses the these medications are really no difference in that regard that there are age limits then there are some that can still continue to cause suicidal thoughts so you have to like be aware of behavioral changes when they start these medications garden of life is another resource that i was looking at and it just describes a few of the early warning signs of depression and anxiety in children which are Really similar to what I mentioned before, irritability, changes in appetite, sleeping patterns, fatigue, lack of energy, headaches and stomach aches, which I did not mention before, is really common. Headaches can be caused because of just like the overwhelming amount of thoughts they have. In stomach aches, serotonin is a regulator in your body. And so most of it is actually in your digestive system. It does more than just mental health and regulating your mood, but it serotonin does help a lot with that. And they notice that people that have depression and anxiety often lack a level of serotonin. But what happens is if you either lack the amount of serotonin you need to produce, or you have like um, your receptors that would process the serotonin aren't functioning correctly, because so much of that is in your digestive system, it can kind of throw it off and cause stomach aches. Also, if you have anxiety, that can increase your heart rate because of the amount of adrenaline that your body's producing. And that blood flow can also cause a lot of stomach aches as well. So that's that's why stomach aches are uh, re- like included in a lot of these symptoms. Social withdrawal is also another one that's very common for kids that have depression. Childhood anxiety is often present with depression they even in adults they usually go hand in hand repetitive behavior is also another sign like nail biting hair pulling joint cracking those nervous tendencies kind of come out a little bit more along with wanting to be alone some kids with anxiety will have a fear of being alone or being left on vacation 
or anything along those lines. They're just, they were always afraid that they're going to be abandoned or left behind. And so that can be like really scary for their kid with an anxiety. Because their like minds are so active, it can have like difficulties sleeping, uh, excessive worrying, and also, as I said before, headaches. There are several different types of de like depressions that a kid can have or mental disorders that are very common. Uh, some of those include major depression, which is an intense episode developed recently in last two weeks or more. Chronic depression is a mild, milder depression that developed in more developed more gradually in a two-year period. Adjustment disorder is often common because of natural disaster, death, divorce, moving to a different school. It's just trying to adjust to major life changes is another form of depression or like mental illness that can kind of develop in children. Seasonal affective disorder is just seasonal depression and it can be related to light exposure, getting the vitamin D, but it usually uh, occurs during the winter months because the sun isn't as direct during those times. Uh, bipolar or manic depression, which are episodes of major depression or mania, which are high emotions is another thing that can result in kids. I know in adults, one of the things that is common with bipolar is that they'll do things very impulsively that they don't even understand. For example, adults will uh, make purchases and then afterwards not really understand why they purchased it because they say they bought a cat, but they don't even like cats. And so afterwards they usually return those items if they can. But that was like one of the questions that I was asked when I was being tested is because like bipolar depression is very impulsive and that's one of the symptoms for that. And so a kid that does things like very impulsively, that could be like a symptom that they have bipolar disorder. Disruptive mood dysregulation disorder is a pattern of intense frequent tamp temper tantrums or outbursts of aggressions and anger. And it has to be something that lasts over a year and a child age six or older. Uh, so this has to be an ongoing thing. It can't just be like a little phase that the kid was going through. And so you kind of have to like keep an eye on and like notice these things about the kids over time. Uh, more ways to help like these kids deal with some of this would be daily exercise, uh, nutritious food, um, making sure they're receiving enough sleep. Some of it can be like screen time or reducing screen time before bed. Encouraging time together or positive emotions or planning little family get-togethers can also help a little kid kind of adjust to a lot of those things with mental health or like mental illnesses or prevent it. And just being kind and patient with the kid can really go a long way. And another thing that I would like to talk about a little bit more in this episode before I wrap this all up is uh, I would like to kind of talk about stigma and what it is since I know a lot of people are trying to end social like mental illness sick stigmas and uh, that's great but like not knowing what stigma is would be a really big issue if you're trying to conquer it. There are four, ty four types of stigmas related to like anxiety and depression. Stigma is simply just a negative attitude, assumption, or stereotype, and discrimination is the act, like the actual action. So discrimination and stigma are not the same thing. 
Structural stigma is expectations in society. The second would be social stigmas, which can be like social norms that lead to fear or rejection of being different. And there's two types of social anxiety. One is actual social stigma, which is the actual attitudes and thoughts people hold against someone that has a mental illness and perceived social stigmas, which is what you think other people believe about you. One of them would be if people found out I had anxiety, they think I would be incapable of getting my work done or being able to function in a classroom or that I can't take tests. But really, if no one believed that, but I was the only one that thought people believed that, that would be a perceived social stigma, where an actual social stigma is like people would actually believe or treat me differently because they thought I couldn't get things done just because of my condition. And then self-stigma is negative self-talk, which could lead to denial of symptoms or rejection of treatment and self-isolation from potentially valuable social supports. And this is all coming from Beyond Blue, which is another website that I was looking at. I think the self-stigma is one that I really suffered with for like a really long time. I know in like middle school, they always brought in the counselor and they would talk to the whole class and you take these little tests about like whether or not you tested positive for any like mental illnesses and I always would take them and I would always come back as like uh highly depressed or have high anxiety and I was like yeah but like they're just paper tests they don't they don't mean anything and I'd always just deny my own symptoms and saying like oh I'm just being dramatic and um another thing is like thinking that someone can just turn symptoms off would be another uh, actual social stigma. Or if I believe people thought I could just turn it off, that would be like perceived. Um, Some of the anxiety stigmas that are really common is like that it's a sign of personal weakness. And this is what I was talking about with like the perceived stigma where uh, 86 to 90% of people don't actually believe that anxiety is a sign of personal weakness. But when you have anxiety, a lot of times you believe that's how people perceive you. Some people believe that anxiety is not a real medical illness, that people are just too uptight or have like a bad mentality or they're being dramatic. And that's not the case. It's not something that can be easily controlled or turned off. That kind of leads to the next stigma where they said that it could stop on command and that's not the case. The impacts of stigma is that it can reduce someone's chance of them actually getting help when they need it because they're afraid of what people might think or they think they might not have the symptom because people are telling them that, oh, you don't actually have uh, anxiety or depression. The ways that you can reduce um, stigma is kind of what I aim to do in this podcast, which is to improve mental health literacy. And that just means like you need to know the signs and symptoms in another person and within yourself and know how to prevent or like manage some of these symptoms, and then also how to support another person who has mental illness. Uh, Some of the signs and symptoms would be, for example, physical symptoms would be panic attacks, hot or cold flashes, racing heart, tight chest, uh, quick breathing, restlessness, feeling tense or wound up or edgy. And psychological would be excessive fear, worrying, catastrophizing, um, obsessive thinking, and behavioral uh, symptoms would be like avoiding situations. 
uh, for example, like if you had PTSD after a car accident, you would have one of the behavioral symptoms would be you avoiding to get into a car if you didn't have to. This is just like a very general overview of what some of the symptoms are. I plan on going a little more in depth these future episodes, but I just encourage you to stay tuned. I do want to do a few listener stories so that I can have the listeners kind of share with each other what they've gone through and not only what they've gone through, but some of the things that they've done that really helped them. So if you have one of those stories, just email it to moralofthestory.podcast2021 at gmail.com. Our Twitter, you can follow and it's Moral of the Story Podcast. And I believe our username, don't quote me on this, is moral underscore pod. And then uh, our website is located in the link in our bio on our Instagram, which our Instagram is... Uh, moralistory.podcast and the website I plan on putting updates to these episodes a general overview of what was discussed and some information uh, maybe later we could have like some merchandise or sales I have like a few stickers that I know that I could make and produce um, and then lastly our Instagram, as I said before, was moralistory.podcast. That's my main way I get information out. So just, I highly encourage you to follow the Instagram for contests, updates, or just uh, kind of information on what's coming up next. So I believe that's it. Just remember to send in your listener stories. Finally, I would like to close up this episode with a little quote from Breen Brown. One day you will tell your story of how you've overcome what you went through, and it will become someone else's survival guide. And that's the moral of the story. Thank you for listening, and I hope to see you next time.